right. Well, welcome to The Sound of Design. With Mark. And Dan. And uh, we are super excited to have you with us uh, on today's episode. Uh, we figured that uh, now that we're getting into our 20th episode, uh, we would Woo! like to say, uh, <laughs> I know it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we've been hit with a lot of questions and this is from you guys uh this is uh we've also sprinkled in a couple that we seem to get all the time uh when we're at the store or you know when we're in clients homes uh people seem to to ask these kind of all over the place and so um how's that sound mark i love it i'm super excited to answer some of these questions that we've gotten excellent excellent awesome well we'll dive right into it um, what is the ideal speaker placement? Well, um, this is one of my favorite questions to get because it's usually from someone who's walking in who's saying, Hey, I want a 5.1 system, which yep. in previous episodes, we've talked about this. You don't want a 5.1, you want surround sound and surround sound. Isn't just five speakers anymore. It's at least seven in my opinion. Uh, is if not more than that, because Dolby Atmos exists. And if you want to talk about Dolby Atmos, you can go back to our, our episode that we talk about it in. But um, speaker placement is in an ideal world or in a perfect world, like if I'm setting up a recording studio or something along those lines, speaker placement is very, very important. Very important. But realistically, most of the rooms that we deal with in a residential space and that most of these clients have when they walk in asking this question is usually a living room that opens up to a kitchen and dining room with a vaulted ceiling. Yep. Absolutely. So while I'm not saying speaker placement isn't important, it it's, it's not it, unless you can put it in the exact spot it needs to go in, which you typically can't, you then typically have to rely on the AVR to do the dirty work, so to speak. And they do that with calibration. So in a lot of instances, I'm, I'm sure that you've probably done this the same. I'll talk about the quality of calibration on better receivers for those type of space, just so we can kind of overcome those obstacles. Um, on top of that, recommending maybe a certain kind of speaker uh, from a certain manufacturer that utilizes a driver that maybe all the frequencies are coming from one direction or one specific driver versus having seven or eight different drivers or something along those lines, just so you get a little bit more uniformity. So, you know, kind of to wrap that up, yes, the speaker placement is important, but getting someone out to your house really should be your goal. Get an expert out there so we can talk about the type of speakers that you're going to be putting in and the type of amplification before we really talk about the placement of those speakers. Yep, absolutely. And I like the fact that you went right to calibration because it kind of shows that the question in and of itself is kind of a false question. So again, if we had a recording studio or I had a room I was going to build around my system, all right, mm -hmm. well, I know my left speaker should be 30 degrees from the main seating location. My center yep. should be directly in front of me. My right yep. speaker should be 30 degrees to the right. My rears should be perfectly in line with those front left and right speakers. Um, yep. Rear left, rear right. And those yep. Atmos should be in line with those. 
uh, a couple of feet in front of the listening position, right? Depending yep. on the size of the space. So I've yep. got, yeah, a kind of a, a guide here. I've got a good idea. What is this going to look like when, if we had a quote unquote perfect room? But the truth is nobody has a perfect room because nobody builds a room around a system except for a very few select folks. So until you get into either the pro side of things or you get into the really, really, really high end, uh, you're just trying to get as close to that as possible. And then the AVR goes to town. And this is where the processing becomes uh, so absolutely critical. Um, And to your point, I love the fact that you mentioned the type of speaker because the type of speaker you pick will either do better or worse aesthetically and placement like positionally and so you have to look at your space uniquely right Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it should also be mentioned that your first five channels should all be at ear level as close as you possibly can 100 percent. right your atmos channels should be in the ceiling as much as they possibly can um can you do toppers yes you can but really you need a flat rectangular ceiling you know or a re- flat rectangular room with with not a vaulted ceiling because yep. you need you need a short enough ceiling to where those that sound will bounce off but typically if you've got a f- flat ceiling it's usually attic space above it unless you're on the first floor or you live in an apartment that's really the best yeah you know, options for for up firing speakers at most toppers um otherwise you know i mean even in my and i live in a townhome my theater is on the first floor it's the living room kitchen dining room space um, my atmos speakers i cut them in or my team our installers did i don't want to say i did it uh we cut them in as close to the front of the room as we could to where they could and i did eight inch speakers yep. so they, they could reach up in there and drill down the header and run the wire so you know really my atmos speakers are a little too far forward but i was able to get them far enough away and with the help of the receiver and calibrating it just it does just as good of a job yep absolutely absolutely and All my, right. my rears my rears are you know in the ceiling i don't really i mean i have a kitchen island behind me that my wife probably would let me put speaker wire or speakers in but i don't have a way to get a wire to it so <laughs> yeah well and it's a home right it's not a recording yep. studio i worked yep. in a place in los angeles for many years and the rear speakers were hanging from the ceiling angled down at us right yep and they weren't perfectly in line uh so to speak with the fronts at their same level and the conversation about why we did that is like well because what are we doing we're getting into what people are really going to listen to a lot of Mm -hmm. folks have speakers in the ceiling sometimes that's the only choice you got so you know what Great. Awesome. Go for it. Like, don't don't sweat the placement. Uh, It's really not a big deal. All right. Uh, Let's move on. Let's go to our next one. We've got should I do a TV or a projector? Ooh, ooh. (laughs) do you want to take this one, Dan? Do you want me to take it? I I can, but go for it. You start first. Okay. Okay. Uh, So, again, um, the first question I'm going to ask you once you ask me that question is, well, first I'm going to say, well, projectors, your best solution for getting the biggest screen and depending on your budget, in my opinion, the best performance, uh, as far as b- being a cinematic experience. 
But the first question I'm going to ask is, where is this going? Is it going in a room, in the living room that's downstairs, and there's 18 windows to the left of you, and it opens up into the kitchen where there's, um, you know, recessed lighting and pendant lighting hanging down over the kitchen island and uh, a lot of other ambient lights in the space? Um, or is it going to be a dedicated viewing space or semi-dedicated viewing like a bonus room? Because ultimately as good as some of the projectors and projector screens we have are, they are not going to completely eliminate ambient light by rejecting all that light. So a TV may be your better, a better solution in some cases. Um, but ultimately, if your end game is biggest screen, giving you the most cinematic experience for your money, projection is still the best way to go. Yep, absolutely. And it is room dependent, a thousand percent. Sometimes you can look at a space and it's extremely formal, right? And to your point, the pendant lights and it's a kitchen and you've got all these other things going on to hang a big black or big white projector from the ceiling is going to throw off that aesthetic. Then, yeah, all right, maybe projector is not a fantastic solution when your screen has to go over a fireplace. Uh, okay, I get it. That's that's not really practical. At the same time, there are other designs where putting a projector in a room makes a ton of sense. And it can be something where you have a lot of light, but it's to the window is to the right or left of the screen facing mm -hmm. into the room, right? And yep. there is a spot for that projector because the back wall is actually closed off. It doesn't open up into six other rooms. And so uh, I had a client with a wonderful space and he had kind of these sections of windows, one, two, and three. And in the middle of the center one, there was a motorized screen that came down out of the trim. And so what's great about that is the screen was hidden. It was a window when it needed to be a window. And when okay. we wanted a movie, you hit the button and the screen drops. And the projector was hidden in a cabinet up high in like these bookcase area. And so guess what? It was hidden away. You didn't see the projector. You didn't see the screen until it was mm -hmm. time to watch something. So uh, you yep. can make both work, but it really is a thousand percent dependent on the room specifically. Yep. And I mean, even with the, the ultra short throws that are out there now, it really does bring projection into more of a living room environment. I mean, the one that we have on display at our location is, is, I mean, it's a, it's like any other you know place that sells audiovisual equipment. So it's a big warehouse with fluorescent lights everywhere. And while it does wash the image out a little bit, it's definitely watchable. It's awesome. And Surprisingly good. <laughs> yep. Yep. We we've played rock band on it at yep. store events. You know, whenever we've we've you know had after hours things, something along those lines. So, um, and it was in a fully lit space. So, uh, if you can control that light a little bit, projection may be a good solution. Yep, absolutely. All right. So uh, here is our next one. Uh, isn't there wireless surround sound? Yes. There next is. Next question. <laughs> um, I love there it. Are, yeah, there, there are, I mean, yes, wireless surround sound does exist wireless completely does not and what i mean by that is it's wireless communication not wireless to each device um 
meaning it's got to have power. That's right. One way or the other. Whether it's from a speaker wire, a Cat 6, or a power cable, it's got to have power yep. to be wireless. So, um, you know, not to say one brand is better than the other, but the one that we probably do the most of is Sonos. Yep. And they built they built themselves from the I mean from the ground up. I mean we used to sell Sonos when nobody had ever heard of it, and it it really is a great solution. And if if you cannot run wires, it is the best wireless sound solution in my opinion out there for the money. Yep. Um. But if you can run wires, f- even for what you'll pay for a, a, f- a five point one point two soundbar two speakers and a sub from them you could get a pretty decent you know 5.1.2 speaker package architectural yep you know in the wall and the ceiling so um it really just comes down to again it, it seems like we've got a theme here getting someone out to talk with you about those solutions <laughs> if it's something you're capable of, if it's capable of being done um if again if you're in an apartment i mean even in my bedroom i've got a sonos arc yeah. Don't hate me, audiophiles. Um, but, I mean, it it really is a great solution for a space that I really can't run wires in because of the way the roof line is above my bedroom. Yeah. Well, and I do want to call out, there is uh, WISA. Uh, there yep. is a couple of standards out there for what yep. we call wireless surround. But the wireless, I think, is the misnomer, right? That's where the... Yep where folks really get caught up in the idea because I think what they're really asking is, isn't there a wireless speaker that operates on a battery or something like that? You know, it runs on my Wi-Fi or something or Bluetooth or something. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. And it just works, right? Because everything has gone to wireless. And so when you don't uh, really do technology on a regular basis, basis, it's easy to think, quite honestly. Well, everything in technology today is wireless and everything just happens to work and it's like you know that's not really real <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are standards and protocols and things that have to go in and and to your point even with sonos even though it is technically a wireless communication you still need a power cable so is it really wireless or did we just pick a different wire for that application right we used romex right. instead of speaker wire or right you know cat six instead of uh, power or something along those lines. So right, right, yeah. Because with with uh, with Sonos, I mean, they do have the Sonos amp that can power a pair of speakers, but you've got to run speaker wire to those speakers. So whether you do their wireless rear speakers that plug into power or a pair of speakers in the ceiling with a Sonos amp, still got to get power to them. Now I'm sure that if I were to go Google wireless speaker here, that you might be able to find something that is out there that has a battery in it or something that you can put in the ceiling and you can replace it. Maybe that does exist. I'm sure it does in some form or fashion, but we got to think about reliability on top and performance on top of the other things of the, the, of it just being wireless and typically, and I mean, there's, there's other competitors that we sell next to Sonos that are big names that don't perform near as well. Yeah. Um, so those, whatever brand that you can search on the internet and find, I would be concerned with reliability because it doesn't have an, uh, a dedicated power source. 
Yeah, and and I agree with you. It's it's like saying, okay, I I want to go get uh, ramen, um, you know, from a really <laughs> nice. No, seriously, and I I yeah. shouldn't have gone back to food, but it's yep. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I ruined the episode. I'm sorry, yep. everyone. Uh, but if I want to get ramen and I go to a Japanese restaurant that specializes in ramen, and we're talking about a nicer, you know, experience, I might spend fifteen to twenty bucks on a bowl of ramen that is not mm-hmm. the same thing as the 99 cent pack of ramen that i get at the grocery store <laughs> like there's a difference so when we say surround sound we're really assuming there that we do have uh, a true surround sound experience with good quality speakers and so that's kind of the juxtaposition there right like should i wire it or should i go wireless is kind of that uh that other presupposition there right so yep Yep. All right. Moving on. This is fun, man. I actually kind of like this. Yeah. Um, how do I split my cable box legally? Ooh. So what what do you mean by split first? You know? So, uh, so, so I'll tell you the story, right? Guy comes yep. in and he's like, I've got three TVs and I hate uh, my provider. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to pay a box fee anymore for these guys and yada, 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 yada. Isn't there something that I can do to split the wire? Like back in the day, like you could get a coax splitter <laughs> and, you know, I could get some channels from my neighbor kind of a thing. Like, isn't that kind of a thing nowadays? So that's really, I think the heart of the question is, you know, can we get okay. around the system a little bit? Is, is there a way to do it? Uh, uh with HDMI, n- not really, n- not without we're going to get there. Yes, there are ways to do it. At the budget of what you would just spend by paying for those two extra boxes over the course of five years, no. It, it's There's not really an option. Uh, I mean, without using just you know an HDMI splitter that might work with HDCP protocols, where you, but then you've got to run hdmis across your house or cat six and hdmi extenders and it gets really complicated um the legal way of doing it would be to utilize an hdmi matrix device of some sort um you know we've talked about using savant several times they have an ip video matrix where you plug in four eight sources and you can stack those to more if you want to but like the project i'm working on right now four of the eight inputs are cable boxes they have 16 televisions in this house they can watch any of those four cable boxes on any of the 16 tvs all at once the reason we chose four is because there's two people that live there and a possibility of two guests watching some all something different at the same time yep absolutely um but we also have three apple tvs as other sources where you can sign into, we have, they have Xfinity. So they sign into the Xfinity app on their Apple TV and it's essentially another cable box. So I know a lot of, a lot of folks are trying to cut the cord, cut down in service, but if you still kind of want that cable box experience without renting another box from them, as long as your account has streaming capabilities, you can typically just log in on an Apple or Roku or Amazon fire device that's connected to your TV and you're not paying the five or 10 bucks a month uh, to have it on that device. Yep. 
Well, and I'm glad that you said it the way that you did, which is that we think about the way TV transmission used to be done was through coax. But now that everything is going to be network-based, that Ethernet, that Cat6, right, or having a strong wireless network with wireless access points is going to give you a new infrastructure with which to work. And so the answer is, you know, actually, unlike surround sound, here I'm just talking about getting the video signal to a player. So it's a lot easier in the digital domain and within that network infrastructure to be able to do that. So a thousand percent, man, I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. Yep. And, you know, I brought up HDMI matrix earlier. That IP video solution from Savant is minimum 30K. Yeah. That is and not- that's for that's for four zones. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we, not even, not even eight, you know, not even eight devices. So that $150 a month you're going to save is not going to pay for that in a year. Right. That is That's correct. what I meant. And it's not going to pay for it in five years. It's a luxury item. Yep. So if, and if you have to ask, you can't afford it and that's okay. Nobody, <laughs> let's not get hurt feelings. Over I don't, this. I, I don't have it in my house. I have right. Apple TVs everywhere with YouTube TV. So <laughs> Well, and honestly, so I just did a, a consultation for somebody who used to have uh, a uh, component matrix from 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And they were sitting there saying, like, how do we get the signal all over the place? And I was like, well, if we do the up to date version of it, you're looking at X. If I do Apple TVs throughout your house times six, like, I'm sorry, but there's just no cost comparison for less than $1,000. I'm right back where we started. Yep. Right. For all of these TVs to get signal. I mean, it's it's really an amazing, uh, an amazing thing. But you do have to kind of know the the right way to do it. So, right. Right. Agreed. All right. Uh, I will take the next one because this is a personal. Uh, <laughs> this is personal for me. So can't I just <laughs> wire nut all of my speakers together? To one amplifier output channel. Now, I did, uh, full full disclosure, I did add amplifier output channel. Uh, The question really was, can I just wire nut all my speakers uh, together? (laughs) Mm -hmm. One. Uh, And so, all right, here's the deal. No. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot do this. Um, When you take the output of an amplifier channel from a receiver or a stereo, uh, what you have is an eight ohm signal. There is an electrical uh, pressure that connects from that amplifier channel to the speakers. When you hook up one set of speakers, you operate at eight ohms, which is what the speaker is designed to do. If you add another set of speakers to those amplifier channels, that impedance drops to four ohms. That means that the pressure has changed. Now, will it work? You will get sound out of it. But just like all things, if the pressure is not correct, it will not perform the way the manufacturer intended it. So if you have a house, okay, full of speakers, let's do the math. I add another set of speakers to it. Now we're down to two ohms. Now I add another set of speakers to it. Now I'm down to one ohm. That means I have no more electrical resistance or pressure. And what happens is the amplifier itself gets overloaded and blows up. (laughs) 
and you get smoke in your cabinet yep. or wherever you decided to put this thing. Um, yep. So, no, you cannot just wire nut all of your speakers together and put them on one channel. You will blow up your stuff. Yep. Yep. And I, I will I will mention it's it's not really something that you see a lot of anymore, but adding a speaker selector is essentially the same thing. Yep. There, there are some out there that do impedance matching and certain volume controls that do impedance matching, but ultimately you should get enough amplification for the amount of speakers that you have. Uh, it's just the right way to do it, and you're not going to be causing damage to the speakers and or amplifier or both. Um by doing so well and not only that but like i've listened to stuff through an impedance matching uh volume control and we've i've i've sold them and installed them and you know when we listen back on it i'm going why does this sound like not great (laughs) it's it's noisy it it adds it it adds noise at least in my experience it 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 is noisy it's messy so i'm anyway we're not going to hang up too much time on that but i do want to say uh, no, buy an amp for every pair of speakers that you're supposed to have in your system. And and this, I I will I will say, has happened to to me specifically for a client who bought a house from a client who had, uh, I think it was like seven or eight zones. And I'm walking. I was at the house for an hour looking for all these speaker wires. You, you know, it's one of those things that's typically wired to a cabinet. Well, it was, but there was just. Uh, one set of binding posts in this cabinet. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'll take this off. So I take it off and there's just one speaker wire. I'm like there's no way that this is all on one speaker wire. And then I just pulled on the wire a little bit and it started getting loose. And then this huge bundle of wire, all wire nutted together into <laughs> one speaker wire falls out of the wall. Yep. And the client was actually the, the receiver that the client, the previous client left for them had died that was the reason why we were out there so we upgraded them to a multi-channel amp yep and a couple of sonos ports or connects i think is what they were at the time and they were happy yeah and and listen there there's going to be a cost there when you do distributed audio i understand you know a four zone amp is going to be you know thousand bucks fifteen hundred bucks you know an eight eight channel or eight zone amp excuse me 16 channels could be you know two grand twenty five hundred bucks yes there's a cost there um but uh it doesn't make any sense to you know cut your system off at the knees so please just budget for it like if you're not ready to do it today great man just hang out wait till you get that next bonus check and let's do it right so exactly all right here is kind of an interesting one (laughs) <laughs> what is a quote promo unquote tv yeah i guess that would probably qualify for speakers as well so what is a promo speaker sure sure so i i get this question and and uh i'm gonna rephrase it a little bit as hey do you think i should wait till black friday to buy a tv <laughs> And because that's that's what we're talking about here. It, it, a promo television is 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 that you know it's unfortunately over the past several years you have companies that on Black Friday will release a sixty five inch television for four hundred dollars. Guess what? That TV didn't exist until Black Friday. That's right. And after five minutes after Black Friday starts, that TV will no longer exist ever again. 
because it is made specifically for that day with the costs of said television in mind already. Yes, we make money on those TVs in some form or fashion, or we make nothing on them, but we don't typically take a loss because it's some sort of vendor partnership that we have. And I don't want to get too specific into that because I don't deal with all that. But what it is is a television or speaker that's built for a purpose with that cost in mind. Hey, we're going to build this 65-inch TV be, that's going to be priced at four or $500. So what are we, what's the manufacturer going to do? Well, they got to scoop things out. <laughs> yep. They're going to, they're going to, so we'll, we'll just, we'll just say Samsung because yep. they're, they're, they, we probably sell more Samsung TVs than anything else out there. Um, Samsung to, to get started has like 12 different models every year. So In it can be a little confusing. Size. In Either every way. size and every size. So it can be a little confusing as a, as a consumer. I get it, but they're going to, you know, let's say they're, they're entry level television, 65 inches, which we sell, I think right now for like 600 bucks. Yeah. It's already has, not expensive. <laughs> yeah. Has three. It's not a, it's not a great television. It's, it's just, it's a bedroom TV. It's a great guest room bedroom TV being a TV snob, but that TV has three HDMIs, a network jack, and maybe an audio output. Keep in mind, that's their cheapest TV. This Black Friday television will have two HDMIs, maybe a network jack, <laughs> and that's it. Like, So they're going to scale back on that. Um, the quality of the parts are going to be much lower. So the parts are probably from a TV that was designed 10 years ago that they had a bunch of extra stuff for that they don't even have to pay for because they've already bought and that's just extra parts lying around. Yep. You get what I'm saying, right? It's it's it, built for a cost purpose, not for a performance purpose. Yeah, and, and I think the, the best way to say this is uh, pretty much every example we're going to give you sounds like hearsay uh, because the information on these televisions is extremely hard to find because guess what? They're not part of the regular lineup. That was the whole idea behind it in the first place. And so you can, you know, get a really good value, quote unquote. Um, but I think in all things in life, we realize like, no, we're going to get what we pay for. And yep. it's not that I think it's going to be a quote unquote bad TV in the sense that, well, I got a 65 inch or 75 inch for $400. Like what did I think was going to happen? If every other 75 inch television out there should be 1200 to 1500 or two grand, then this at 75% less the price is not a, I, like you're not going to beat the system. <laughs> yep. Like yep. They, it, people just don't do that. So I, anyway, I, I, I mean, I've got a perfect example. I mean, my, my cousin uh, goes out every Friday, every black Friday and somehow every year buys a new TV and it's usually because they're replacing the one they bought the year, (laughs) the year before or the year two years before, because it's gone out. I'm not disparaging a brand. Take the brand name off of it. It could be any brand, right? It's just, it's not built with quality in mind. Now the speakers on the other hand, that's going to depend because I mean, there's a brand that we, there's two brands actually that we sell that have a holiday model that essentially has just become a year-round thing and honestly i use those a lot for 
audio distribution. I don't use them necessarily in main, like I want to get a great, awesome sound in this room, but for those extra rooms for 150 bucks for a pair, that's normally six, $700. So it's, it's hard to beat, you know, I mean, and speakers are, yeah, they don't, they don't sound as good as, you know, the similar, you know, similar higher cost models, but they're, they're not as bad. There's not a lot that can go wrong in an in-wall speaker, right? So as long as it sounds okay to you, sure. That's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad deal. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you, uh, you know, in our previous episodes, we've talked about the difference between a chip driven technology versus a mechanical technology and speakers are definitely in that mechanically driven technology. Uh, and after talking with the manufacturers and kind of looking under the hood, so to speak, you start to realize like, no, most of these are actually pretty solid. Um, to your point, they're not as good as the regular lineup. So is it going to be yep. my first choice? No. Uh, is it actually okay if uh, I, I want to try and save some money and do something that uh, I maybe otherwise wouldn't have had the ability to do? Like I've got a, you know, an extra room, for example, like a kid's bedroom, and they, you know, listen to music sometimes, they don't listen to music all the time. Great. Awesome. I've got a dining room. We use it three times a year, just the way the family <laughs> lives. Okay, great. Yep. I need to have speakers there. Um, that's a great place for us to scale back and save a few hundred dollars. Uh, in my main living room, am I doing them? Probably not. In my movie room, am I doing it? Probably not. In my own bedroom, am I doing it? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you get the idea. But uh, yep. yeah, definitely watch out for uh, for some of those uh, TVs. And by the way, every manufacturer makes them. So um, there's there it's it's just part of the part of the landscape you got to worry about. So yep. All right. Well, uh, let's keep on going here. We've got a few more to go through, if that's all right. What is the box to make coax into HDMI? And I'm adding also or component into HDMI. So uh, I'm just going to, for the sake of the, the listener, I'm assuming that uh, if you're listening to this and you're still listening, you're probably not technical. So coax is RG6. Okay, it's the round one that has the con the cable connection, and so that's what you would normally see on your cable box, right? Uh, HDMI is that kind of weird rectangle-y shape, and it's kind of slanted in on the sides, and so the bottom is a little shorter than the top. Um, and then component, just to clarify, is the five wire. So that's a red, a green, and a blue, as well as a... Uh, white and a red for audio. And so sometimes you'll see that as well. So the question is, can you take, oh, look at that. That's HDMI. Yep. Well done, sir. <laughs> I need to see if I can Sorry. find, component has RCA tips and we'll, uh, we'll talk more about RCAs in just a second. Um, but no, like, can you convert these two uh, connection types uh, from one to the other? I mean, yes, there there are boxes that that do this. Um, it's not really something that you see a lot of anymore. Really, where I've seen it the most when it comes to coax to HDMI is essentially one of the 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 digital converter boxes that were utilized when they transitioned from analog broadcasts to digital over the air broadcasts. Yep. And folks wanted to be able to and you know 
if their TV didn't have um, you know, a, 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 a digital tuner in it, but it has HDMI and they wanted to get HD, you could plug in this digital converter box that had an HD out so you could at least get HDMI to it. Yep. Uh, kind of the same thing with component. Um, it would kind of have the same thing. Um, there was a brand that we used to work with that did make a five, you, know, you could use five coaxes to convert to HDMI or to component. Um, you know, that was more for video distribution, but really it, it's, from when I've seen it, it's been in just the digital converter boxes. Yep. So it's not typically answering the question or figuring out what they want. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think you're, you're a thousand percent correct. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of take us down uh, a slightly different road, which is to say, if you're trying to convert that source, um, there's probably a, an actual missing piece, right? And that's kind of the main <laughs> issue that we have to really address is you're missing some variation of gear. So it's not often that you have an old VCR and you want to hook it up to your new TV, but your new TV doesn't have a coax connection on it. Um and so then you have to go through all these, you know, weird steps and weird conversions. And so, uh, so you probably missed along the lines. Well, maybe we should have just had a VCR player that has a digital output on it in the first place. That's really kind of the the right design. And they don't cost any more or any less than any other VCR that you're going to look at. There is right. in pro audio and video uh, something called uh, SDI. Um, an SDI is uh, something that's used, uh, especially when you're doing uh, large-scale venues. You have to get signal out uh, across multiple televisions. Um, and there's a couple of companies that make SDI converters. Um, these do not work um, unless you have the correct output uh, signal from an SDI box. And so you can't just plug in coax and think that it's going to work. The languages are not the same. So... Um, if uh, you want to try and find something on the uh, interwebs, uh, feel free. Uh, is that something that <sighs> companies can really stand behind? Uh, the answer is no, they typically do not. Um, so just buyer beware. Uh, a lot of those conversions are really not going to work the way that you want to. And if you can get them to quote unquote work, they won't sound or look good <laughs> because they're not scaling the information <laughs> the correct way. So it's like, let's go to a format. For example, I take an H d television or what we have today 4k television which is ultra hd and i try and feed it a regular coax signal that's using standard definition well guess what that's probably not going to look very good on your 4k ultra hd television because it's not formatted correctly it was never remastered to be in that better format so even if you were able to get around quote unquote the system you'll still end up losing in terms of the picture quality. So uh, again, just buyer beware. Let's just not, let's just not go there. So. <laughs> buyer beware. I can't believe I just said that. I kind of feel like <laughs> it's like a reverse infomercial. It's like, what is, what's going on here? All right. All right. So Mark, how do I get uh, the image uh, from a computer or tablet onto my TV? Well, um, there's two ways. One of them is just plug it in. 
Um, usually your, <laughs> your really? computer is good. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Um, but most people don't want to do that. Usually the, the term wirelessly is thrown in there. Um, so usually the next question is, all right, what, what device is your source, right? Are you, is, is it a Mac or a PC is usually, or an iPhone, iPad yep, versus a PC, right? Um, cause that's going to help you out tremendously. Um, at the end of the day, to do that, you just need a specific device that's either going to receive that uh, AirPlay or, um, you know, whatever it is you're going to use. I know that Microsoft has their own wireless protocol, MHL, and some other things that are out there. Um, there's just specific wireless adapters that you need or an Apple TV to do that, just depending on what your source is. Um, so, like, I have Apple I know Dan has Android, so he yep. he's going to be able to to kind of explain that to you. But like uh, on my my uh, MacBook Air that I've got, or my iPhone or my iPad, I simply swipe down from whatever I'm viewing, and I can mirror my entire screen wirelessly. Um, the MHL adapter that I use for my PC on my main television downstairs is the same thing for my work laptop. If I want to be downstairs and get some work done while I'm do- making lunch or something. Yep, so. absolutely. And on uh, Android, it is really as easy as swiping down from the top, and there's this little button called Smart View, um, and that's really going to be the thing that you're going to start with. And yep. uh, you'll just follow the prompts, and as long as you have a compatible television, you're on the same Wi-Fi network. Uh, this is absolutely critical. You are going to be doing some some sharing of the video and audio data. Uh, that's going to require good Internet. If your Internet sucks, and it's not going to be very good. That's not going to work very well. So just put in the back of your mind, network-based. Uh, but Smart yep. View is is the way to go. Uh, and it is brand-specific. So you just want to make sure that you're double-checking. You know what, you're, uh, what platform you're on. And then you can go to the correct platform on your television. Yep. All right. And I know I brought up the, those devices that you connect, but I think you kind of hit it on the head there. Like a lot of TVs have that stuff built into them. Nowadays, I mean, your big three, Samsung, Sony, LG, for sure, are going to have AirPlay and typically Smart View because Samsung and Sony are Android-based operating systems. systems. So, yeah. Now, that being said, is it perfect? No, it probably isn't. Will you potentially run into some delays and things like that? Yeah, maybe. So just put in the back of your mind. That's not a main technology. I used to say this all the time, like there's, a TV's main technology is to produce an image. Uh, to be a smart TV is kind of its secondary technology. It's not its main focus. Like it needs to be there. It needs to do the things, but it's really not the the primary purpose uh, of the television. And so while smart TV features have gotten a lot better through the years, uh, it's still main purpose is just to be a TV. It's not really a full on computer. So you may want to yep. get, if you are an Apple house, get an apple tv you may want to get if you're an android house a roku or something similar uh to be able to screen mirror uh those uh, those devices and especially if it's like in a conference room situation or something like that that can be real sketchy because you don't always have the best wi-fi or the most secure wi-fi or and so you may or may want to rethink that plan yes you can do it at home and that's probably fine but probably not best in a commercial application. Correct. Yeah, it's it's 
we've probably mentioned it in an, in an episode before, but like I have a TV, it's uh, a Samsung plasma television. It's actually at my mother-in-law's now that, uh, four years ago when we gave it to her or uh, right before we gave it to her TV, got an update and it deleted Netflix and Hulu and some of the other apps off of it because each year they have licensing agreements that they sign with all those streaming services. And if they decide, Hey, this TV's old enough to where we're not going to sign that license agreement to continue it, then those apps are gone. But like I have a gen two or three Apple TV that is still around on one of my televisions. Um, because it still constantly gets updated. So having that dedicated streaming device, I think is, is a, a plus for sure. Yep. All right. Let's keep on going. We got one or two more. And All right. uh, so let's do a kind of a quick one. Mark, what is the difference between Bluetooth and wireless? Aren't they the same thing? Sure. Uh, they do both run on 2.4 gigahertz. Hey, look at that. So, um, yes, they're both wireless transfer protocols, um, both on the same frequency band, but they use different type, uh, a different type of frequency transmission. Um, Bluetooth is designed for small file sizes um, at a shorter bandwidth, so it's, it's not going to transfer large files quickly. Um, Wi-Fi is designed for much higher bandwidth, meaning higher quality. If you're talking about, you know, audio distribution or video distribution over those, those, uh, device or those protocols, excuse me. Um, but I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but it's, it's, there's just different protocols within the 2.4 gigahertz bandwidth that allows them to travel different highways, so to speak. Think of Wi-Fi as that bypass highway to get around all the traffic, where Bluetooth is just designed to go from maybe the outer loop of the city to the center of the city, right? Like, think if you're getting something DoorDashed from one place to another. Yep, That's what absolutely. it's. Bluetooth is kind of like getting DoorDash from that restaurant right down the road to your house. It's a very quick trip. Wi-Fi is like, hey, I'm going to take this trip, you know, to my parents' house in Ohio or something like that. It's just what it's designed for. Yeah. And I think that's really the biggest call out. Bluetooth is typically a one-to-one, right? Yep. There's a yep. there's some ways you can kind of cheat it to do maybe yep. two or something like that. But typically speaking, a Bluetooth connection is going to be that one-to-one. And it does top out around 30 feet. So uh, it's preferred to have that line of sight. So, yeah, I've got a small speaker I want to connect to or my headphones from my pocket to my head. Yeah, short distance. I love it. Fantastic. Let's use Bluetooth. Um, we want to do something yep. longer, uh, or more substantial, more permanent. Um, we really should be using the Wi-Fi network. So that's awesome. Yep. All right. Does a bigger TV mean a better TV? And is bigger always better? Uh, it it kind of goes back to the TV or projector one, I think, a little bit. I mean, bigger, in my opinion, is better if you've got the right space for it. But I've definitely had clients that put the wrong size television in their space. And what I mean by that is they go way too big. Yep. I know it's crazy, but, you know, I <laughs> probably eight years ago, I had a client that it was right when the first Samsung, like 78 inch curved television came out. And it was a $10,000 television. And I had this consultation set up. I go to the guy's house and I walk in and he's like, 
I want that 78 inch curved and that at the time the panorama from Bowers and Wilkins was the there best soundbar. <laughs> I want that with the panorama soundbar at right there. And the, the TV was as wide as the as the fireplace. Oh man. The, it, it it came out from the wall so you had the firebox that came out and they had built-ins on each side. But it literally went edge to edge and I'm like, you know, this is going to fill this whole wall, you know. That's okay. you know, yeah, I know. Uh, and you know what? It was cool. They were awesome clients. Um, you know, I've worked with them for several times after that, but uh, even he came to me at one point and was like, yeah, I might've gone a little overboard there, but it's okay. <laughs> well, and um, every manufacturer makes a different quality of model and they yep. make that in different sizes. So an OLED from Sony, for example, uh, or LG is a f one of the best TVs that you can get bar none, right? Yep. Great technology. Yep. Uh, and it comes in a 48 inch, right? It comes in a 55 inch. That's not a huge size for a television, but it is one of the highest qualities of TV that you can get. Um, conversely, you can also get an 85 inch, uh, Samsung, um, 7,000 series, which is their entry level tier of, of television. Now, yeah, that's a bigger TV. I get it. It's a 75 inch or 85 inch. Uh, but you're getting their lowest quality manufactured television. So just because it's a bigger TV doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a better uh, quality of television. Um, and right. where, you'll, where you'll notice that, honestly, is in the brightness and in the contrast. Uh, you will definitely uh, find that you're turning that television into its vivid or dynamic mode or turning the brightness up to try and compensate um, because uh, it doesn't have enough lighting zones in order to correctly uh, set that thing up. And so I think it's important to just say, you know, yes, there's obviously quality levels that you want to look at. Um, but uh, as these TVs do continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and we have now, I think, 98s. Um, yep. Like, so you can get a really nice size television, and that 98, I think, is only 10 grand. So it's still a lot there's for a, TV. There's a seven thousand dollar Samsung right now. It's on sale for seven. It's like eight thousand retail. But yeah, so I, yeah. it's still a lot for a TV. I get it, but um, you know, maybe not the first choice. But again, going back is if, it, if it's the right room, um, you know, maybe that that makes sense. And so I have helped folks get those because sometimes in the right space, it does make sense. But that's also already a high mile quality model you're in a mid middle or upper middle tier in order to get there right so exactly exactly and just to give you some you know a quick example one of our colleagues sold the 100 inch sony led 4k led what three or four years ago and it was sixty thousand dollars yep so we're talking a 98 inch probably better than that tv at this point let's be honest just because of the way technology upgrades you know for a tenth yeah. of, eh, it might you know actually that one was probably the z series at the time so it might still be a, a better it, tv but either well, way it depends on how you define better so without the yep. minutia <laughs> yep yeah let's keep yep keep going so anyway yep. but 60 grand <laughs> versus seven yep yep Six, that's i think the point of the comment right Sixty thousand. Yes. For a TV versus seven thousand for a TV. Yep. Yeah, that's only four years, right? And the industry does it to itself. Man, I wish they wouldn't do the pricing the way they do, in a sense, because it's yep. like you just lose your value so fast. But 
This yep, is and there's this there's 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 always going to be that sixty thousand dollar television. Don't don't get us wrong here. Like there is a TV that is in that price range. There's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar TV that we sell right now. Yes, technology does come down in price, but there's always something to take its place too. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Awesome. 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 All right. So can I plug RCA cables into speaker connectors? I want to take this one. Yes, <laughs> go ahead. The answer is no, you cannot do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, RCAs, the red and white, like we've seen that wire before, like the, the old school cable. Uh, speaker wire obviously is a bare wire connection. So when you're t having this conversation, uh, you should be thinking, uh, I've got a speaker and on the back of it are these terminals um, and I have to put bare wire into them. I cannot use uh, RCA cables to do that. So what's happening there is uh, to kind of just put it in perspective, a speaker is what's called a passive uh, device, generally speaking. And so what happens? Well, your speaker is going to have speaker wire connectors and that gets wired into the speaker wire connectors on the back of a receiver or amplifier. So that amplified signal carries a lot more power through it than the RCA cables do. And so speaker level connections or what we call speaker level is actually a very high uh, level of uh, electrical signal. Uh, if you were to touch it with your hand, you would feel an electric shock and it would be very, very, very unpleasant. <laughs> um, it may not kill you, but it would be pretty close. <laughs> if, if it was coming I, out of a Mac amp, it would probably it, it may hurt you. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on the Mac amp. Uh, yep. So uh, a 1.25 would be uh, a very unpleasant <laughs> experience. All right. So if I have an RCA cable, <laughs> uh, that particular connection is what we call line level. Um, and uh, I won't go too deep into the pro side. They have kind of something a little bit in between um, at a plus four dB, but uh, most consumer electronics are going to use RCA cables to just pass signal from one device to another. It's not amplified, right? It's uh, just loud enough, so to speak, or just enough current to be able to get the signal from point A to point B, but it's not going to hurt you. So if you, for example, hook up a subwoofer, there is an RCA connection on that one. And you'll notice that that speaker actually plugs into the wall. You're going to give it its own power source. And so that's your first clue. Does this unit plug into the wall? Because if it does, then I'm going to need an RCA cable to go to it. If this unit does not plug into the wall, I'm going to need a speaker wire connection to go to it. Um, and that's going to go to an amplifier. So You see this most with uh, subwoofers? All the time. Usually subwoofers that came with an with a home theater in a box, which you don't really see a lot of anymore, but those subwoofers used to have just a speaker wire connection gotcha. on them. And the, you know, the home theater in a box would just, you know, it wasn't designed as a real surround sound necessarily. It was designed kind of like a all in one piece. So if you try to take that speaker and plug it into a receiver, it's not really designed for it. Yeah, so the impedance wouldn't match. And before you know it, like it sounds garbled and crackly and you probably blew up the yep. speaker because you're feeding, yep. you know, the wrong type of power to it. And so, 
Uh, yep. I, I will say there is an exception to that, which is if you're going to run full range off of an amp. But at that point, yep. you're probably having a conversation with a professional, right? Yep. Who's going to be putting in the correct speak on style connector. And so yep. there is definitely a time where you may see a subwoofer wired in with speaker wire as opposed to RCA. Um, but uh, for the do it yourself and for uh, most consumer level gear, that's just not going to be the case. And so nope. keep those two, uh, those two things separate. All right. We'll wrap up uh, with this last one. Um, so at what point uh, is technology subjective and at what point is it objective? Um, so when is it uh, really appropriate for the customer to be making the decision as opposed to the salesperson? Because this is, I think, something that happens all the time. Like we get so hung up on technology where mm -hmm. you're going, oh, you got to see all these great, awesome, cool things. And, you know, the customer is looking at you going like, yeah. I don't really care about some of those things. Right. So right. this, I think, is just more of like, as we get into the holiday season here coming up, like some good maybe cutoff points or some things that we can really think about. Uh, what should we consider subjective and what should we consider objective? Sure. I mean, the biggest one, and we may have even mentioned it before, is speakers. I mean, we know, we know the type of speakers Dan likes based on the the kef episode we had a few weeks ago um but i mean no honestly it, it's it's one of those things where being able to demo speakers is probably one of the still one of my favorite parts of the job you know meeting a client and saying hey this is what i think is going to sound best to you but have i been right 100 percent of the times no I, it's it's you know i could play my favorite speaker from name the brand and I truly believe that that would sound better to me in that room, but they listen to it and think, yeah, you know, this maybe isn't for me. And that's okay because that is a subjective view. So rather than getting upset about it, you know, as a professional, I'll say, Hey, all right, well, let's, let's pivot. How about, what do you think of these? Or maybe we'll start over and say, how do you want your sound to look? Right. And we'll start, we'll start over from there and let them kind of pick, the look of the speaker, and then I'll go from there because that's going to give me a, a brand to go off of. Um, so that, I think, is probably one of the biggest subjective pieces. You could probably bring in television picture quality as well, although, you know... <laughs> well, and, and I'd like it, to... It's, it's, it's a tougher one. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. and I think I might uh, maybe kind of preface it like this is that your budget is your objective uh, reality, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't matter uh, what it is that I'm going to tell you about how cool a thing is. It doesn't matter. If it's not in the budget, then I understand, right? And so you need to have that conversation first to say, okay, what am I looking at for a set of speakers? Am I looking at, you know, let's say I've got a healthy budget of, you know, 1000 to $2,000 a speaker. Okay, great. Well, within that, right, we have all sorts of subjective things that you could take into consideration because we now know like we've got kind of a range with which to work. So you might like this brand or that brand. I get that. But objectively, when you go from, say, $1,000 a speaker to, say, $30,000 a speaker, 
you're going to be in a completely different category. And there are some objective differences that you can't get around. There are certain things in that technology. So I think that the issue becomes kind of not clarifying, right? At the very beginning, what category of gear should I be looking at? And if you only want to spend $200 a speaker, man, great, awesome. There's plenty of cool options in between that $200 and $300 range. You're going to have all sorts of good choices that you can have. I just don't think that you should be saying, is it objectively worth it to spend this or to spend? (laughs) It's not. It's it never is. You got to set kind of the range that you want to be at. And when you Mm -hmm. hear that next option, if you decide it's worth the difference, man, go for it. Absolutely. All day, every day. Um, But that's not something that uh, I think anybody's ever going to push because that I think is really at the heart kind of of the question. Agreed. Um, All right. Well, we have covered everything from everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this is a fun one. This is definitely a fun one. So we might do some of this again as more uh, questions come in. And if you have questions, obviously, feel free to send them. We will address them as uh, as they come in. And if you want to try and stump us, just know that I do research. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no live call in segments. Uh, not yet. Uh, not yet. We'll oh, get there. Maybe. There you go. There you go. So uh, thank you very much for listening to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan. And uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends. Uh, If you guys like hanging out with us, uh, let uh, other folks have that opportunity as well. Um, And uh, we'll be releasing this one uh, video as well. So uh, please give us uh, some feedback, what you guys think about that. Uh, We've got some upcoming guests as well. So please stay tuned as uh, we have some more folks coming on. Uh, We're going to do some fun things. So uh, do do not turn that dial. Yep, and I've also I've got a challenge for the the listeners. Oh, I want them to tell me who my favorite band is. Oh, oh man, oh man. If it's not obvious, <laughs> then I don't know what to tell you. But I just want to see if someone will answer me. There you go. Reach out to us at thesoundofdesign dot com. Uh, check us out wherever you get uh, your podcast, obviously, including now YouTube. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. 